Hello and welcome. This is Twenty One. Episode three point two. Celebrations cut short. Last week we looked at the construction of the third wonder on our list, the Colossus of Rhodes. Built by the Rhodian people between 292 and 280 BC, in celebration of their victory over the invading Macedonian forces led by Demetrius. Demetrius was the son of one of Alexander the Great's generals, and was attempting to solidify his father's kingdom around the Aegean Sea. But he got more than he bargained for when he tried to invade the island of Rhodes. After besieging the city for a year, but unable to prevent the city from being supplied by the sea, Demetrius came to terms with the Rhodians. Now we're not sure what those terms specified, but we do know that the Macedonians left Rhodes without any further conquest by Demetrius or his father. They also had to leave all their siege equipment and extra weapons and armor behind. This victory. Which symbolized the victory of freedom over oppression, was commemorated by a massive statue. This statue, the Colossus of Rhodes, stood about 110 feet high, was covered in bronze, and depicted the Greek god of the sun, Helios. The Colossus stood either in or around the main harbor, the center of life on Rhodes. Its beauty and magnificence could be seen for miles by those out at sea. Reminding them of whose waters they were sailing in. Today, we look at the life of the Colossus after its completion, how long it stood for, and what happened to it once it fell. The people of Rhodes, upon the completion of the Colossus, dedicated their work to the gods. Similarly to the Ishtar Gate, there was a dedication plaque that was made for the Colossus upon its completion, and just like the Ishtar Gate. We have the dedication that was made of the Colossus still available to us today. It's not that long, so I will read it in its entirety. It states, quote, "To you, O Sun, the people of Dorian Rhodes set up this bronze statue, reaching to Olympus, when they had pacified the waves of war and crowned their city with the spoils taken from the enemy." Not only over the seas, but also on land, did they kindle the lovely torch of freedom and independence. For to the descendants of Hercules belongs dominion over seas and land. With the dedication written and the Colossus completed, it was ready to stand for generations, reminding those who saw it of the success of ancestors past. At least that was the intention. But sadly, as is the case with a number of wonders from the ancient world, a natural disaster brought the Colossus of Rhodes's life to a quick and abrupt end. The Colossus of Rhodes stood proud for only fifty-six years. This is one of, if not the shortest lengths of time that a wonder of the ancient world stood for. In 226 B.C., the Eastern Mediterranean was struck by a rather large earthquake. The Colossus, despite its sturdy construction, was unmatched to the power of the earthquake. 
the massive statue broke at its knees, fell, and broke into a number of smaller pieces. Now, earthquakes and other natural disasters were not uncommon in the ancient world. They happened just about as often as they do today. But to the peoples of the ancient world, they attributed natural disasters to the gods. They thought that they had to do something to incur the gods' wrath, and that's why the natural disaster happened. And it was this response that the Rhodians gave when the Colossus collapsed. Even after Potomac Egypt, still on good terms with Rhodes, offered to pay to have the statue restored, the Rhodians declined. They thought they had offended the god Helios in some way by building the statue, and that he had sent an earthquake to destroy the Colossus. The collapse of the Colossus of Rhodes must have truly been a sad day. However, even after it fell, the Colossus continued to attract people from all over the known world. This is a testament to how impressive the statue was. There are very few buildings or statues that I can think of today that if they would fall would attract as many people to it as they did when it was standing. The typical comparison to the Colossus today is the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. The Statue of Liberty is awesome and I've seen it with my own eyes, but I can't imagine it having the same appeal if it were to collapse. Perhaps it might, but either way, this shows the quality of the Colossus, something that you could argue we don't or haven't valued in our construction for a long time. The Colossus lay in and around the harbor of Rhodes for about 800 years, and all throughout those years, it continued to bring people from far and wide to admire it. One of those people was Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder was one of the first major ancient historians with an outside perspective. A Roman, born many years after the wonders of the ancient world had been built, his record on the ancient world is perhaps one of the best that we have today. And he actually went and visited the downed Colossus and gives us a glimpse as to the awe of the broken statue. Quote, The statue 56 years after it was erected was thrown down by an earthquake, but even as it lies, it excites our wonder and admiration. Few men can clasp the thumb in their arms, and its fingers are larger than most statues. Where the limbs are broken asunder, vast caverns are seen yawning in the interior. Within it, too, are to be seen large masses of rock, by the weight of which an artist steadied while erecting it." End quote. In a world where statues were as common as people, this was a statement. The fact that the Colossus stood out while it was not even standing is a testament to the magnificence of the bronze structure. Sadly though, as happens over time, there came to a point where the beauty of the Colossus no longer held sway over those who saw it. Greed began to replace admiration in the minds of those who saw the great Colossus. And eventually, the pull of greed would be too strong for some to resist. This happened in the 7th century, when the Islamic Caliphates were on the rise in the Middle East and threatening the Byzantine Empire. All throughout Roman and Byzantine times, the Colossus was left alone. 
But in the early 650s AD, that changed. Now, we won't get into the details of the Byzantine Empire versus the rising Islamic Umayyad Caliphate. There's just way too much history there, and I won't get sucked into it. But I will quickly highlight the parts of that war which impact us here on 21. The Byzantine Empire, otherwise known as the Eastern Roman Empire, had dominated the Eastern Mediterranean for hundreds of years. The Christian Empire stretched all the way from Greece in the west to Egypt in the south and into Mesopotamia in the east. Constantinople, the capital of the Byzantine Empire, was the dominant city in the entire known world. Now why the Byzantines left the broken Colossus alone remains a mystery. As a Christian empire, the Byzantines did not have much tolerance for statues and other objects that might incur worship. Perhaps it was because that it had already collapsed. So in the minds of the Byzantine rulers and the leaders of the church, this showed that this statue was not worthy of being worshipped. Whatever their reasoning, though, the Byzantines had left it alone. The entire time Rhodes had been under their influence and jurisdiction. Alongside this, enter Islam. The rise of Islam would shake up the known world once again. The clashes between Christianity and Islam would be brutal, violent, and last for hundreds of years. And frankly, it still exists today. Islam was one of the things missing from the Mesopotamian and Arab worlds. It was a unifier. Until the rise of Islam, the numerous peoples of Mesopotamia and Arabia had their gods and religious practices, and these prevented the peoples from uniting under one banner. But when they all changed to Islam, this became a different story. With the Arabian and Mesopotamian peoples united under their new religion, they quickly became the dominating force in Mesopotamia and threatened the Byzantine Empire. Conflict between the Christian Byzantines and the Islamic Umayyad Caliphate was inevitable. Over the course of hundreds of years of warfare between the Byzantines and the Islamic Caliphate, one battle in specific is of interest to us here on 21. After capturing one of the most important port cities in history, Alexandria, the Arabs pushed their way out into the Mediterranean. In 654 AD, the Arab fleet arrived at the vital island of Rhodes. While the hands of power had changed from Greek to Roman times, Rhodes' strategic position remained of vital importance to anyone wanting to have control of the eastern Mediterranean. And if the Arabs were able to take Rhodes, then the entire underbelly of the Byzantine Empire would be exposed. I won't go into the details of the Battle of Rhodes, but I do have some maps up on the website, 21wonderspodcast.com, for those of you who would like to see how the battle unfolded. At the end of the battle, the Byzantines were pushed off the island, and the Umayyad controlled the island. Now, all throughout the centuries and the battle, the Colossus remained in the harbor, broken, but still there. When the Umayyad Caliphate conquered the island, however, the fate of the Colossus was suddenly in jeopardy. While the Christian Byzantines were not advocates of the pagan religions of times gone past, they at least had the decency to leave the masterpiece that was the Colossus there 
to be admired as a work of art. But once Rhodes was captured, people began to view the Colossus a little differently. They saw the broken pieces of the magnificent statue not as art, but as valuable. Something that could be melted down into the base metals, iron and copper, and used for other purposes. Weapons, coins, and tools were a few things that iron and copper were still used for as the world moved from the ancient world to the medieval one. And eventually, the temptation became too much to handle. A merchant from the city of Edessa in modern-day Syria got permission to melt down the pieces of the statue into the base metals and bring them back into Umayyad territory for their repurposing. The Colossus, even in pieces, was so massive that when all the metal was melted down, it allegedly took around 900 camels to move all the metal. Now, we're not exactly sure of the exact math, but I'm going to take a slight rabbit trail here just for fun. I want to see how much the Colossus theoretically would have weighed based on how much weight the camels could carry and how many of them were used to carry the metal. The camels most likely used by the Umayyad Caliphate and the Syrian merchant would have been able to carry around 200 kilograms or about 440 pounds without being loaded down. Anything more than this and it would have been too much for the animals to carry. Now if each one of the let's just say 900 camels that were used to transport the metal carried 200 kilograms of metal, then that means the weight of the Colossus was 18,000 kilograms. That's almost 400,000 pounds. I'm honestly having a difficult time fathoming the sheer size of the Colossus. If this is how much the bronze exoskeleton weighed, never mind the stone interior or the iron that made up the mold of the statue. I won't even bother trying to guess how much the completed Colossus weighed, with the stone and iron mold included, but it must have been ridiculous based on the weight of the bronze. Alright, rabbit trail's over. We're back. After the Colossus was melted down and transported away, the memory of its grandeur began to fade. Rhodes slowly fell into obscurity, and the memory of the Colossus fell with it. Before long, there were people questioning as to whether or not it had even existed. People began to doubt that the ancient people of Rhodes would have even had the technology to build such an impressive statue. But frankly, I don't understand this train of thought. I mean, the Great Pyramids and the Great Wall were still standing, and are both still standing today. While it's unlikely that anyone from the ancient Near East would have seen the Great Wall, the possibility of them seeing the Great Pyramids is much more likely. So the argument of ancient peoples not having the technology to build something like the Colossus just doesn't hold any weight. The fact that the wonders of the ancient world even exist shows me that the ancient peoples were far smarter and more intelligent than we give them credit for. I firmly believe that the ancient peoples had technologies that we don't even know about, which helped them in their geometry, architecture, and construction. The ancient peoples, I believe at least, were some of the smartest people to exist. That is part of the whole reason why this list of wonders even exists. 
to help educate us about the sheer sharpness, intelligence, and work done by the ancient peoples. Despite the transition, though, from history to myth, new evidence has emerged recently to reverse this transition on the Colossus. Some archaeological excavations on the island of Rhodes have shown some light onto the Colossus. Archaeologists believe that they have found the spot where the Colossus actually stood. They believe that it stood on a hill overlooking the harbor, where a medieval castle now stands in its place. I have some pictures detailing this up on the website 21wonderspodcast.com. They have also discovered some carved stone that dates back to the time of the Colossus. This stone, used to build a fort that now stands at the entrance to the harbor, is believed to have once been a part of the base of the Colossus. But finding anything more definitive than that is highly unlikely. The only hope that I can think of is that a small piece that might have broken off when the Colossus initially fell has either fallen into the sea or fallen somehow and gotten hidden in the earth with the potential of being rediscovered at some later date. But both seem unlikely. There is cause for hope, though. Almost 1,500 years after it was melted down, there are plans to potentially rebuild the Colossus of Rhodes. And, as a fitting tribute to the original Colossus, the new one would not only be a statue, but it would also be a museum of ancient history. While this for some reason is not popular with everyone, I think it's a smashing idea. I think a museum specifically dedicated to the ancient world, and potentially the wonders of the ancient world, is a splendid idea. And having some place in the world designated to shining a light into this specific darkness of human history would be awesome. However, I personally don't think that something like a rebuilt colossus as the museum is such a great idea. Now, if you wanted to build a museum next to it, that's perfect. I'd be fine with that. I guess I would want the rebuilt Colossus to be as close to the original as possible. This way, we could get a very similar feeling to that which the ancient peoples felt when they got up close and saw the Colossus for the first time. That is, frankly, part of the whole point of this show. While I am unable to rebuild the wonders of the ancient world back to their old glory... I hope to create a picture for you. A picture that, while it does not do any of the wonders on this list justice, never mind the Colossus of Rhodes, creates a sense of curiosity and awe in all of us. For only if we regain that sense of curiosity and awe can any future plans to rebuild any of the wonders of the ancient world come to fruition. The Colossus of Rhodes was truly unique among the wonders of the ancient world. It was built not only in celebration of a military victory, but also as an ideological statement. The people of Rhodes enjoyed their freedom after the fall of Alexander the Great's empire. Not a part of an empire anymore, they were able to maximize their strategic position and create a very lucrative trade monopoly in the northern Mediterranean Sea. They had no desire to be conquered either. And when the larger, stronger Macedonian army came up to their walls, they did not submit. Instead, they survived a year-long siege 
and eventually came to terms with the Macedonians while retaining their independence. This was not common in the ancient world, and even up to today. Typically, when a stronger army comes up against a weaker army, the stronger army usually wins. But this was not the case for the Siege of Rhodes, and the people of Rhodes celebrated this victory with one of the grandest statues in history. Next week, we're heading to the fringes of the known world to find the fourth wonder on our list. This is one of the most lost wonders in history, known only to a few but still standing partially where it was constructed. This wonder is truly unique in the ancient world. Built for a military campaign, it does not receive the recognition it truly deserves from history. Before we go, though, I have a few housekeeping things that I need to address. First off, I want to thank everybody for your continued support and continued listening of the show. The Facebook page continues to grow in likes, and I appreciate everyone for their comments that they have sent me on the show. Second, we have reached the point on 21 where we will start having advertisements. They will not be on every episode, but I just wanted to let you all know about the change. Thank you to everyone who continues to listen to the show, whether on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or however you listen. Please continue to share 21 with anyone who you think would like the show. And thank you all for your support. Yeah.